Welcome back to The Real Slim Fady Show. I am your host, Fady Hawatma, and I am blessed to have Howard Katzenberg of Glean AI as my guest. So welcome to the show, Howard. Thanks, Fady. Great to be here. Yeah, really excited to have you on and really excited to really get into the get into the story. So first things first, I, I would love to know what's the Glean story? Where did Glean come from? Um, what are you guys up to? And then yeah. we'll go from there. So the Glean story really relates to my kind of prior life as a CFO. Um, I was a CFO of, uh, for a long time of a company called On Deck Capital, which is a small business lender in uh, New York. And then um, after 10 years at On Deck, I joined Better, the mortgage company, uh, for about a year and a half as their CFO. On the spend side, it was like a black box, a <laughs> month where uh, I didn't have great visibility or really any visibility into how we were tracking from a spend perspective. Um, and then I'd have to generally wait two to three weeks after the actual end of a month for the accounting close to occur. And then I got the one, like the one and only report <laughs> on how we perform from a cost perspective. Uh, but what also just really kind of frustrated me was that I'd see vendors I knew very well, like AWS, for instance, just jump. And, you know, as a CFO of Better, one month it jumped from 40,000 to 60,000. And to get the answer on like what happened, um, like I had to find the invoices myself and they weren't in our AP system because we were paying with credit card. They were in mm -hmm. someone's inbox and that was a pain in the ass. I then had to do some analysis myself about like what changed. And if you've ever seen an AWS invoice, that's not easy. Mm. And uh, I then follow up with like the person who should be on top of this monitoring the situation. Uh, and they had no idea what was going on. So, you know, I, I, I grew so frustrated by this like recurring experience managing vendor spend. Um, I looked at like the existing tools in the market. We were using build.com for accounts payable. We had Brex on like the corporate card front. But they were very tactical tools. They weren't strategic. Like as a CFO, what I really cared about is not necessarily paying our vendors quicker. That was important. But how do I pay them less? How do mm -hmm. I get confidence that we have the right vendor relationships, that we have good pricing, that ultimately we're driving ROI? And I didn't see that there was like a strategic tool that existed in the marketplace to do so. So I decided, mm -hmm. decided to start, you know, Glean and, and become that solution. Love that. Love that. I think the unique thing that's different. And, and I think this is why you and I clicked right when we first met, we lived the pain that our yeah. software solve. So I'd love to hear from your perspective, right? When I talked to any of my competitors, and I even looked at my competitors, it was always funny, the companies that were like, Oh, yeah, I used to do this, I lived the pain. It's like, no, you lived a symptom of the pain, you didn't actually live the pain. You know, it was, I was the CEO of a company, and we had no financial insights. It's like, but you're not living the pain. You're, you're living a symptom of it. But as yeah. the CFO of two phenomenally high growth companies, you lived the pain. So I'm curious to see your perspective. How has you actually living the pain helped you with Glean and given you an insight across across the market that, that doesn't exist? So let's talk about the pain uh, first, because ultimately, I felt like I was not doing a good job holding my team accountable on the spend side. And like, I wasn't a good steward of the capital. I, I, I was on the revenue side. Like my head of sales did not want to be in a room with me because I knew his numbers better <laughs> than he did. But again, on the spend side, like I just felt like I didn't have context, I didn't have visibility, and therefore I couldn't do my job as effectively as I wanted. And that to me was the real pain I, I kind of felt. 
So, you know, I think in designing the product, uh, first off, I could really visualize everything I wanted it to do. Having lived the pain, I was able to be pretty specific about like how I wanted the, the initial like alpha MVP to, to work, to look mm -hmm. like, and what like collaboration features would be included. You know, the, the thing I love off, off that is the product, the focus on the product. And I think when you live as a CFO, you know, I was a, I was a CFO of a much smaller company. You know, we were a Series A uh, VC-backed company. But being a CFO, you have to be in very analytical, very detail-oriented, very detail-focused. And it was funny when back when I started my outsourced CFO firm in 2015, I never yeah. thought of myself as a product person. You know, I always looked at what, what the heck, how, what do product people even do for software companies? You're, you're not really doing anything. And fast forward to a couple of years ago, someone was like, you're a very product focused CEO. You're a product focused C, uh, founder. And I, I kind of looked at it and I was like, ooh, I don't want to be a product focused founder. I, you know, <laughs> I kind of thought that that was kind of a, a little backhanded compliment, but really being a product focused founder in the space that you're in, in the space that Clockworks in, in the space that I'm in, you have to be. Because if your product is not good, you're set behind the eight ball off the bat. And I yeah. think being, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you've considered yourself, like what kind of founder, you know, it sounds like you're a product focused founder. And is that something you've really, you've really owned? I, I think it's been a journey for me, and I, I think that's such a great compliment. I would love to be called the product focused founder, <laughs> as opposed to like an analytical or CFO-like yeah. founder. I've had to unlearn a lot of the CFO qualities, but yeah. Uh, yeah, product to me, I think when I started Glean was like a very, um, I don't know, like all right, they they talk to customers and they synthesize what they hear into requirements that they build mm -hmm. for engineers. Like it was yeah. a very like myopic view of what product does yeah. and i've come to and I, I, even myself i think in that initial like mvp version of glean it was very feature focused mm -hmm. and functionality focused as opposed to problem focused what's the yeah. customer's problem and then you know, let's, let's rethink maybe how we uh do this so i think at our core and i now consider myself to be like a a, a product cfo is like we're great listeners. We're great probers. Like we can have that discovery call and really get to the heart of what are the challenges this person is having? What are the jobs they need help with, et cetera, um, without leading them on. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think that's a big part of, of my job as CEO. Anytime I meet with a customer or a sales prospect or even potential distribution partner, really understanding, you know, what are their challenges? Uh, what would they like in, you know, in, in a relationship or in a, uh, if they're purchasing Glean. So that's helped me a lot. I think just also by the nature of being a founder of an early stage startup, you grow a lot greater appreciation for uh, how development works, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, right? And the cycles between the product team, the customer, you know, customer focused folks, plus like the engineering team and, and, and really working uh, to optimize, you know, that learning process that and that like iteration cycle of, of building awesome features and functionality for your customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think there's a couple things there. First thought is I, I've, I kind of coined the term recovering CFO. It's in my LinkedIn headline. I've always said it because nice. it, when you're the CFO of a company, 
I've always said being the CFO of a company is the most difficult position across the company. I've been the COO, CEO, CFO. By far, being the CFO was the most difficult and, quite honestly, it was the biggest pain in the ass position in a company. And, you know, you, I'd love to hear your perspective on having been a CFO and a CEO now. Which is better? Which do you prefer? Oh, I, I much prefer my current position. Uh, yeah, I think I probably had CEO envy in my prior position. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I think I was a good CFO and I enjoyed the job. But at the same time, I was like, I want to be the decision maker here. Like if something mm -hmm. doesn't work, I want to be accountable for that. And as a CFO, like certainly you can influence some decisions that get made. Uh, but you're not at the end of the day, like the, the chief person accountable. And that's what I aspired ever since like, uh, ever since I was a kid, like I always wanted to be like the, the CEO. So, um, I enjoy that today, today. It does come with tremendous responsibility and, you know, lots of stress. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I've fortunately been enough, <laughs> been in enough like ups and downs throughout my career <laughs> to help yeah, weather those storms and you know, internalize the stress to be able to like make the most out of it and stay very focused have clear communication, uh, set expectations appropriately, um, and, and be able to ride those storms. Yeah. I think the key word there was accountability, right? A lot of people yeah. think that being the CEO, you get to do whatever you want and you just make everyone else do the work. Like, no, it all lives, breathes, and dies with you. And you're the one who's ultimately responsible for every single thing. So I think accountability literally is the, the, the best word to use there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I was, I was talking to someone the other day who was kind of pushing me like where my motivation comes from. And I, I think it was almost like a leading question that he was looking for me to say, I want to have impact. I want to mm -hmm. I want to like leave a legacy here. And it's not true. Like I, I take my ego out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want my product to have an impact, you know, and, mm -hmm. but but like I don't you know, for me, it's about that accountability i feel that responsibility of like hey we have a really good product here i want to get it in the hands of as, as many businesses as possible so they can work faster they can work smarter but it's not about me it's it's, it's really about my product yeah i 100 percent agree and the timing of this of this is actually so perfect earlier this morning i met with one of our clockwork users and they are a company called get help and it is literally a, a mental health uh, company. So it helps people get help. It helps yeah. homeless people, uh, you know, people on the outskirts of society actually get help. And, you know, this call started with her being, oh, I love clockwork. It's so amazing. I can do so many things. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I want to get to know you. I've done a lot of high level research on you guys are already. And she told me one of the most amazing stats. It literally gave me chills during the call. They're software their company saved seven lives in december of last year yeah and when she told i was like wait what and and she was thanking me for clockwork and i'm like no 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 no. i was like this is the fact yeah. that clockwork can enable amazing companies like you to literally save human lives that's what makes it exciting for me we're just looking you know we're just helping you be better but you're literally making a difference in people's lives and saving people's lives that that for me man i like i'm i'm walking an inch taller today just knowing that we can help companies like that yeah that's that's incredible uh listen and and 
my software doesn't do that, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, yeah. But if I could give an accountant like their weekends back, yeah. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, but it's those it's those user stories. I mean, and I think the other the other super important thing that you said is is talking to users and talking yeah. to prospects and talking to people in general and getting their feedback. I I remember one of my one of my one of our now customers then prospects they were like if you guys were you know as good of a software you wouldn't be taking sales calls as the ceo and i was like wait what like that's your credibility check that you're gonna have on clockworks product is the fact that i'm still taking some sales calls yeah um i thought that was mind-blowing but then you know a, a few weeks later they signed up and they're like yeah this is the best <laughs> this is by far the best one um, yeah I, I, I listen. I think that could be valid feedback once you're, you know, a very big company. But yeah, 100%, I think yeah. stage specific. Like I still am a part of the roundtable of, of, mm-hmm. of as leads come in, like who gets, uh, um, who get who, who they get routed to, and I find that like hugely enlightening to hear what customers yeah. are saying, uh, and also just iterate on different sales techniques that I can share mm-hmm. with uh, the rest of the sales team. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's. When I first started Clockwork, I thought, okay, I know this market, I know the clients, I know the customers, I know the prospects, I know exactly, you know, and the questions I would ask initial people was, do you want a forecasting software that will do everything for you, that you sign up and it does it all? They're like, yeah, I don't want to touch it. I want everything to be just done for me. I'm like, great. I took that at face value, went and built a V1, an MV, not even a V1, an MVP around everything being done automatically for the people. When I started doing kind of some alpha testing, the users that gave me, I don't want to touch a thing, they came back and they're like, well, I want to be able to adjust my numbers. I want to be able to, and I'm like, well, you said you wanted it to be automatically out of the box. They're like, no, 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 I just wanted the setup out of the box. I didn't, I still want to be able to, and I'm like, so it made, it was a huge lesson learned for me where I'm like, I need to know what to ask and really to push those answers to get what the root cause of what they're asking is rather than just taking what they give me at face value and running with it. Yeah. One, one of the best uh, pieces of advice I, I received when starting Glean was to read the mom test. You ever, you ever hear of that book? No, what's that? It's a very short book written by like a product, uh, some product executive. I'm blanking on his name, but basically, the whole premise of the book is, if you were to ask your mom about your business idea, of course she'd be like, "Oh, honey, that sounds great, right?" So <laughs> it, it teaches you how to do customer discovery and yeah. you know take your product or idea. Like that's not what is important. What's important is the the prospect or whoever you're interviewing their experience like what are their challenges what are like what's the why behind why they don't want to touch it or maybe they do want to touch it but they just don't want to import historicals right uh it gave a really good framework for asking questions uh asking follow-ups um and uh and 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 acknowledging that i don't want to talk to them and bias them by asking them about my product i need to ask them about their experiences and their challenges I love that. Yeah, I love that. I think one of my most proud moments was when my, you know, 60 some odd immigrant father explained what clockwork was to another, you know, foreigner. And I was sitting there, I was like, wow, he actually gets it. Like, oh, this is, (laughs) this is great. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. 
So when you look at when you look at advice and kind of things that helped you start, you know, obviously, obviously having a storied and experienced, you know, very, very well defined career, starting a company is not easy. You know, it's not easy. What was when you look back at like one of the pieces of advice that you got or an experience that you had that was like, okay, this is a forming experience, forming conversation that I need to start this company and this is how I need to start it. Yeah. Um, so while uh, it, like this is early 2020, it may have been late 2019, I was looking for pre-seed capital. Like I had, it was me, I had two co-founders who hadn't left their jobs yet. We had a PowerPoint presentation and maybe some like mock-ups of what Gleam could look like. Um, I could get a lot of VC meetings just based on my background. And I remember one meeting where the initial call went great. Then I was called in to this is pre-COVID, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I sat in front of like all the partners, and the head of the fund basically asked Howard, like, do you consider yourself to be, you know, as a leader, like analytical um, and you know very um, judicious in like how you approach things, or just like going on instinct? Um, and I kind of was like. I kind of wavered on that question a little bit. I was like, you know, it really depends on the situation and, you know, you know, I could be both when it warrants, etc. Um, and then the feedback I got was like, Howard, as a founder, you got to not be analytical and you got to yeah. be on the opposite side and just say everything's about speed, velocity, breaking things and getting up again and fixing it. Right. And that's what they wanted to hear from me. And I like to me, it was a wake up moment that, yeah, you know, I have to unlearn a lot of my the stuff that makes me a good CFO, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and right. I have to embrace the stuff that I'm a little uncomfortable with about, uh, I, we have no data on this, but it's my instinct. Let's just do it. And yep. if it doesn't work, we're going to fix it and we're going to do it quickly. Right. Um, so that was, that was, a, a you know, it, uh, they didn't invest, but at the same time, like I felt like I was, um, I, I definitely received a good, um, yeah, it was worse uh, than good today. value from that from that in, uh, that experience. Yeah, the investment was worth the advice right there. Yeah, you know when one of my one of my fellow founder friends um, they run a phenomenal company. They just raised a forty million dollars Series B. Um, he awesome. told me it was funny. I, I shot him a note. I was like, "Hey, congrats on the news! Finally closed it. You know that's phenomenal." And he goes, "Yeah, we we have more cash to make mistakes now." And <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone put it that way. And it, it hit home. So per, like we raise money to go and figure out what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And if you're yeah. not making mistakes as a startup founder, you are, yeah. you're slipping and you're not yeah. going to make it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, hopefully the ratio of mistakes, to, not mistakes changes as you, as you mature. Yeah, of course. But, yeah. um, yeah, I hear you. And like, I always tell my team in the past when we raised uh, a significant amounts of equity capital, um, like that was the easy part. Now we yeah. have to produce, right? Yeah. We have to make sure that we're, we're good stewards of that capital. We're investing it the right way. Um, and uh, we're growing the business. So like we celebrated for a day, but then it was like back to work. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. The real work begins when the when the money hits the bank. It's not for sure. You know, it's it's it, a lot of people think, oh, when you're and I, I you know, I, I talk about this all the time. When you're VC backed, that doesn't mean shit. That <laughs> does not mean shit. It does not. It, no, it helps a ton. 
it, it absolutely helps a ton, but way too many, way too many founders kind of rest on their laurels and they're like, Oh, well we raised 50 million. It's like, great. <laughs> what are you doing with it? You're at half a million ARR, you know, you're at a million ARR and you've raised 500, the valuations of these companies. And now, and that's where Glean and Clockwork have such a unique opportunity now, where five years ago, people were like, ah, I don't, you know, I guess it's cool. I guess it's not cool. But now, now that company reality has hit a lot of these companies, it's a different, it's a different use. So I'm curious to, to see your perspective, how you've seen things change in the industry since just from starting Glean a couple of years ago to being the CFO um, for, for several years before. How have you seen the industry change? Well, listen, I think in terms of selling, um, it's like the for us, like the wind's a little bit of our at our back right now. We've seen basically a doubling of our close rate uh, over the last, I would say, six months. Just as you know, everyone's next round is going to be much harder than their last, uh, and a lot of companies may not raise that next round. So everyone is now there. When I I always start discovery, like you know, tell me what some of your top priorities this year are, and it was always about growth last year, right? Yeah. Um, I still hear growth a little bit, but now it's like, hey, every dollar burn is being scrutinized, and I, I need better tooling. Um, to uh, to get full control over the, over that spend, um, so that that's been helpful for us. And I think for the most part, founders have got the message that uh, it's a different environment out there, and you have to be much more rational, right, in terms of how you spend your money. And I think employees and team members and and new hires, and I think it's trickling down, right? Yeah. It hit the VCs, it hit the founders. And now it's trickling down to team members and employees. I know recruiting last year was miserable. Finding anyone, and they're all asking 30 40% above market just because. Yeah. Yeah. Now interviewing and finding talent is seemingly more realistic. You know, When you have conversations with someone who has four years of experience, they're not asking for a quarter million base, right? It's yeah. a lot more of a realistic labor market which naturally just continues to to trickle down yeah Uh, my wife told me yesterday about one of her friends whose husband works for a startup he's now starting to look at more traditional like jobs right yeah uh and i I think you know that trickling down is is real that some employees might see the writing on the wall or just like tougher times ahead and say all right let me try to get into a more secure and stable situation yeah be a little more you know, for me, I've always, I, I worked at Boeing and I was one of 160,000 employees. You know, I was, I was literally nothing at Boeing. Um, and it was always funny when people were like, oh, job security. Cause when I, when I quit Boeing, everyone was like, you're insane. How are you going to quit Boeing? That's the most secure, you know, number one aerospace in the company. I was like, yeah, but I'm just a number. So whenever layoffs are going to happen, I, you know, I'm just going to be a number on a spreadsheet. And so when people think about what your contribution and job security is, it's all about, it's all about contribution that you're bringing to the company and what your long, long-term effects are. And the smaller the company, the more significant your contribution is. So from my perspective, that's that's real job security when you own your own destiny rather than leaving it in a, you know, on a spreadsheet. Yeah, for sure. I agree. 
So if you if you were to look back at the beginning of your career, what's the number one advice that you would give Howard of 10 years ago uh, that would help you navigate everything that you've you've done over the last over the last decade? Um, you know, I, I feel like it's advice I was given, uh, but just be true to yourself. You know, I, I I've in, in business sometimes like you might have to make some tough decisions about layoffs or even like upset people on your, on the team about, all right, we're going to head this direction from a product perspective. Um, what I've learned is like, always be transparent with the people involved, always empathize with them. Um, you know, I've had to, uh, let go of some people who just weren't working out over the last year. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't beat around the bush. I was very transparent on like, you know, why I was making the decision. You know, we, of course I treated them well. Um, and that's always been a guiding philosophy. Like I never want to have any regrets about how I've performed as a business person. Cause just being who I am, I wouldn't be able to sleep well at night. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and that's, that's, that's was that type of advice was imparted to me early on in my career. Uh, I remember like someone at business school gave an example one time where people like the students had broken up into a group and um, one uh, one group like it was a very minor cheating, you know, that they did. And then the uh, the, the guy moderating the, the, the discussion said, you know, why did you cheat? Like and he was like, oh, well, it was so minor. It didn't really matter. And the the moderator said, well, if that's how you react to something that doesn't matter, how will you perform when it, when it really does matter and it's on the line? And that to me, like imparted the wisdom of, all right, you know, just, you know, you always want to act with full integrity. Um, and, uh, and, and by the way, that like, it, it, it um, it's contagious too. I think mm-hmm. people, uh, like working with other people, they ha- have shared values with, and they can trust. So uh, I've always tried to stay firm on that and not really deviate uh, in any of my behaviors that way. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think being being purposeful and being mindful of every single little thing because, you know, I always tell my team members, win the day because if you win the day, then you win the week, you win the week, you win the month, you win the month, you win the quarter, you win the quarter, you win the year. But it all yeah. starts on the day. You know, you, yeah. there's no such thing as, oh, I had a bad day and I'm just going to post up an L like that, that can't happen. Yeah. And, and being very purposeful is definitely extremely important. It reminds me of advice I actually tell my kids. So they're, I have twin boys. They're very athletic. They're on a lot of teams and, uh, they're very competitive as a result. I mean, they're competitive with each other too. Yeah. I always try to just say, you know, the only person I ever want you to be competitive with, and I want it to be a very hard competition is you yesterday. Mm. You know, if you're better today than you were yesterday, you'll live a very happy life. Right. Yeah. But don't get concerned about your brother or other kids in school. Or like you have no control over that. But what you do have control over is, am I making small progress every day? Have I learned something new today? So uh, I encourage them to just be better than you were yesterday. I love that. And it's all about the influence of control, right? There's, it's always what you control and what you can't control. And there's so many yeah. times when I look at things and, 
And I'm frustrated because being a <laughs> being the CEO, being the founder of a seed stage startup is extremely difficult. Series A, extremely difficult. Pre-seed, even more difficult. And there's so many things that are out of control, but we f- we carry them all on our on our heads, and we think yeah. that oh my gosh, this is this is it, or this it's. I always it's literally a daily battle with me where I have to think. Is this out of my control or is this in my control? If it's out of my control, I have to just let it go because yeah. there's there's no reason to ruin my entire day on on something you can't control. Yeah, the challenge though is you know we all have egos as a CEO. hundred like, percent. Yeah. Oh, I could probably influence that, right? I, I can yeah. I can change change the direction of that. So you have to balance, you know, the 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 acknowledgement that I only need to focus on stuff that I can control like have control over versus the realistic view that you probably don't have control over everything you do (laughs) yeah but that's you know that's why you got to move fast and if you mess up own up say i messed up i'm not going to do that again yeah Uh, it's it's always it's always a learning experience that's that's what i've what i've definitely learned and when you look at being a recovering cfo which i will i will definitely give you permission to consider yourself a recovering cfo if you ever feel the need but (laughs) Breaking those bad habits and being a successful CEO and founder is, is it? I, the one part I will never give up. I always have a calculator nearby. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, the financial modeling calculators, those were, those are the juice. I should write a blog post on this, actually. <laughs> it's good branding yeah. as a CFO. Carry yeah. this to every meeting. People are just going to think <laughs> you're extremely analytical. Yeah, and just just you don't even have to do anything. Just bang a bunch of numbers and, and <laughs> just film like, film actually. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's awesome. Well, Howard, I mean, we're 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 oh, even over even over our time. I really appreciate you being being on the show. I absolutely love this. I'm definitely excited to see what you do at Glean, what Glean does in the market, and what we can do together. It's been an absolute blast having you on. Uh, thanks so much for to the real Slim Slim Frady, <laughs> um, and, and thanks for everything you do for for this like entrepreneurial uh, community. Uh, I think that these uh, these podcasts are, are great, and uh, look forward to maybe coming back in another time. Yeah, no, I we will definitely have to set up. Um, well, thank you everyone for tuning in again. This has been the Real Slim Fady Show. I am Fady Hawatma, and we will catch you next time.